hear the truths of the scriptures. Uh, We're excited for us to hear the truths of the scriptures this morning. We are in the book of Psalms in our series, Christ in All of Scripture. We're attempting to uh, preach through the whole Old Testament, one passage from every book of the Old Testament, to see the beauty of Christ in the Old Testament. What a challenge it has been. This week is no different than the challenges, but we have finished the law, the first five books of the Bible, the Torah. We have finished the prophets, and now we enter into a section of the Hebrew Bible called the Ketuvim. It's called the Ketuvim, which means the other writings of the Old Testament. During Jesus' day, the Old Testament was organized into three sections. The law, called the Torah, the first five books of the Bible. The prophets, called the Nevi'im, the four narrative books we would call the former prophets. The three major prophets, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, and the twelve minor prophets. The three major prophets correlating to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And the twelve minor prophets correlating to the twelve tribes of Israel. So you have the law, the prophets, and then you have this section called the Ketuvim. The other writings. And it begins with the Psalms. And Jesus actually gives these three categories of scripture... In relationship to himself, when speaking to his disciples after the resurrection, Jesus said in, (coughs) excuse me, (coughs) I was going there for a minute and then I wasn't. Lord humbles me at the pulpit. Luke 24 verse 44, then he said to them, these are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. So Jesus gives the three sections of the scriptures. He describes the other writings with its beginning book of the Psalms. So that's where we are this morning. The Psalms scroll as it begins this section and it teaches God's people how to pray. So if you're wondering, how do I pray? We open the book of Psalms and God teaches us through the prayers of his people throughout the history and the narrative of God's people. As they wait, and as we wait, for the future hope of the Messiah and the kingdom of God in its fullness. So out of the 150 psalms, as, as David actually shared this morning, 73 of these psalms are attributed to King David. <clears throat> and the psalms actually are divided into five books within the larger book of the psalms. The Psalms walk through the history of God's people almost as a recount of the Old Testament narrative. And you can see this through the superscriptions, the little indentations in the Bible. As we begin Psalm 90 this morning, it begins with a prayer of Moses, the man of God. It tells us where we are in the history as the the men of God and, and the people of God recount their prayers unto God throughout the history. For instance, in Psalm 51, it begins with this superscription, the Psalm of David, when Nathan the prophet went to him after he had gone into Bathsheba. And then the Psalm is a song of confession of David's sin with Bathsheba. The first two books of the Psalms take us to Psalm chapter 72, and they mainly account the life of David to Solomon. Book three recounts the life of Solomon to the exile, the fall of God's people in Jerusalem. And book four begins with the Psalm of Moses, who intercedes 
on behalf of God's people. This is where we will be this morning. The hinge, if you will, of the Psalms. Will God's kingdom still come? How will the eternal God deal with the mortal and sinful human race? And books four and five place the hope in God's future king and his kingdom coming on the other side of exile. And so the psalm of ascent that you read is on the other side and hoping of God's kingdom come. So we're going to look at the hinge of the psalms this morning. The prayer of Moses, the man of God. You see, when the psalmist ordered these psalms, there was no temple. The people were in exile. The psalms were compiled as a virtual temple so that the God's people could enter his presence through song taking us through laments, confessions, and praises of God's people through their struggle and their hope in God amidst their struggles. I'm not going to lie, the Psalms has depth to it. So if you are one of those people that have a lot of depth this morning, this is great for you. If you're one of those people that just like it straightforward and don't have that much depth, come next week. It's Proverbs, okay? So you like it straightforward, you go to the Proverbs. If you want the depth, the meaning behind the meaning, you go to Psalms, okay? So this song is designed to bring hope. That just as in the past, God has shown mercy to his people, God again will show his mercy, bringing them up from what is seemingly death and giving them a new life. Why? Because of his steadfast love. It's a psalm for all of us. Even today, God's people, as we await the fulfillment of the coming kingdom, yet we work tirelessly until that day comes. God's kingdom will prevail. Amen? All right, so let's look at Psalm 90 together. If you'll stand in honor of reading God's word, we will look at Psalm chapter 90 together. It begins book 4. As you can see that in some of your scriptures, a prayer of Moses, the man of God. Lord, you have been our dwelling place in all generations. Before the mountains were brought forth, wherever you had formed the earth and the world, from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. You return man to dust and say, return, O children of man, for a thousand years in your sight are but as yesterday when it is past, or as a watch in the night. You sweep them away as with a flood. They are like a dream, like grass that is renewed in the morning. In the morning it flourishes and is renewed. In the evening it fades and withers. For we are brought to an end by your anger, but by your wrath we are dismayed. You have set our iniquities before you, our secret sins in the light of your presence. For all our days pass away under your wrath. We bring our years to an end like a sigh. The years of our life are seventy, or even by reason or strength eighty. Yet their span is but toil and trouble They are soon gone and we fly away. Who considers the power of your anger and your wrath according to the fear of you? So teach us to number our days that we may get a heart of wisdom. Return, O Lord, how long? Have pity on your servants. 
satisfy us in the morning with your steadfast love that we may rejoice and be glad all our days. Make us glad for as many days as you have afflicted us and as many years as we have seen evil. Let your work be shown to your servants and your glorious power to their children. Let the favor of the Lord our God be upon us and establish the work of our hands upon us. Yes, establish the work of our hands. What a psalm this is. You can be seated. Let us pray. Father, we, we thank you <clears throat> for your word. We thank you for your truth. We thank you that when we read the psalms, we see the trouble, the issues in our world today. The, the Psalms does not, Father, it doesn't put a mask on, but it unveils our hearts and our minds, our laments, our trouble, that you could see us for who we are, what our troubles are, how we have questions. And yet, our trust and faith is in you. Lord, help us to see your truth this morning. Help us to be reinvigorated by your spirit, by your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I'm not as young as I used to be. I did membership DNA this morning and I talked for a long time. And now I'm having trouble talking to you. Used to, I could just do that and no problem. <clears throat> now, I gotta have some water or something that I, I have to drink. But this psalm is an incredible, incredible truth. David recounts here that our life is 70 or 80 years. Teach us to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom. What, what would you do if you knew the number of days that you had to live? What would you do if you, say, had 30 days to live? How would you live your life? Moses, the psalmist says, 70, if you're strong, 80. Boy, he, he, he hasn't met our church, has he? We've got some strong ones that have pushed past 80, way far past 80. No, but say 75 years. 75 years is 27,375 days. Now, I've, I've never been told by the Lord, this is the number of days you are going to live. But I have been told... I'm leaving a church. This is my second church to pastor. The first church was in First Baptist Holdenville. And I did know that in a certain amount of time, I only had a few days as this church's pastor. And I can remember remembering there is going to be an end and I know that it is coming, and I know the day that it will come. And when it comes, I have to be ready. And how did I use my time? Well, I reflected on that this week a little bit. How did I use my time? Well, number one, I made sure that the work would continue. I made sure that the work that had been put in for the kingdom of God in that church would go on. I put things in order. Number two, I began preparing for what was next, which was Northwest Baptist. This was over four years ago now. I began preparing to be the pastor 
at the next place where God had me. And the third thing is, I knew that I would be leaving people that I loved dearly, that I had spent time with, that I had invested my life into, and I let those people know how much I loved them. Those three things. I, I, I would say that each of us would have something similar as the people of God. If you had 30 days to live, they would put their things in order, making sure that there was somebody to carry on their projects or the work that they were doing. There would be some time in preparing themselves to be with the Lord for all eternity. But they would also hopefully spend time with the people that they loved and they would tell them how much they loved them. Moses says to all of us, teach us to number our days that we may get a heart of wisdom. When we put that in perspective, the brevity of life and consider the fear of the Lord as Moses considers in verse 11 we find that all that matters in this life is what will last for eternity. Our work will matter if it is the Lord's work. Moses was around 80 years old when he wrote this psalm. Moses would go on to do some work after he wrote this. After the Lord called him out of being a shepherd around 80 years old from the burning bush. He would be called upon the Lord to lead God's people out of Egypt. Receive the law. Write the first five books of the Bible and then wander through the wilderness for the next 40 years and until he died at around age 120. I wonder if Moses' work mattered. I wonder if we pray the same prayer as Moses prayed here in Psalm 90 if our work will matter for the kingdom of God. We're so consumed with our life. Everything in it. Sometimes we forget to reflect upon God's eternal kingdom and what truly matters. Teach us to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom. You see, the theme of the book of Psalms is found in chapters 1 and 2. Psalm chapter 1, Psalm chapter 2. The man who delights in the word of God will be like the one who eats of the tree of life. was planted by streams of water, just like in the Garden of Eden. He will be blessed. Another way to put that is the man who delights in God's wisdom, instead of his own wisdom, will be Blessed. In the second psalm, the king is coming. Therefore, take refuge in him and be blessed. I'm summarizing Psalms 1 and 2 here. You can read those on your own time. But all the themes of the Old Testament rolling together in Psalm chapter 1 and Psalm chapter 2, which rolls all the way through the psalms, the temple, The kingdom, the Messiah, the Torah, or the law, God's word. But the questions arise throughout the Psalms. Do you trust God in lament? Can you praise God for what he has done and will do? Both seem to be happening here in Psalm 90. A lament is, is nothing more than a prayer of pain, confusion, and anger. 
You're drawing attention to what is wrong in the world and you're telling it to the almighty, everlasting, eternal God. It's okay to lament as the people of God. In lament, you are asking God to do something. You are asking Him to act. The opposite of lament is praise. And praise is often used in the psalm as a prayer of joy or celebration. It's often a retelling of God's story, of God's faithfulness, and thanking God for who He is and what He has done. Lament and praise in the same breath. What a beautiful thing it is. The question that arises here in Psalm 90 actually comes from Psalm 88 and 89. Will life get better? Is the line of David over? How long until the Lord comes? And some of us are in that mode of life. Asking some similar questions as we wait on the Lord in our lives currently. Trusting God to change our circumstance, our sickness, our situation in our marriage, our job, our lack of desire for God, our depression. God, where are you? Moses gives a glimpse of the prayer of God's people in the midst of struggle. Let's look at it together. He begins with the praise. Verses 1 and 2. Lord, you have been our dwelling place in all generations. Before the mountains were brought forth or ever, you had formed the earth and the world from everlasting to everlasting. You are God. This is point number one this morning. God is eternal. God is eternal from everlasting to everlasting. There's no beginning and there is no end With God. He is eternal. Here we begin the hymn of praise. As God is described as the everlasting God. He is the God of creation. Who formed the earth. And throughout all generations. It is God who is the shelter among his people. He is his people's protection. He has been our dwelling place. Think of an animal who comes forth. Who is protected under the wings of their parents. So God, the Lord of all and the God of creation, is our dwelling place. Now Moses is speaking on behalf of the people of God. The imagery brings us back to the garden where Adam and Eve walked with the Lord in the cool of the day, and the eternal God dwelt among his people in the place called the Garden of Eden. This eternal God dwelling among us is our dwelling place. You see, we should sing of God's creation. We should sing of of the eternity of God in praise. But also, we should sing that our God wants to be with us. He is our dwelling place. You see, God has not changed Since the Garden of Eden. He longs to dwell with his people. He is our dwelling place. But there's a problem. This is where Moses quickly turns. From the praise of the Garden of Eden. And God's creation. And his eternal nature. To the lament. Let's look at it together. 
That was our, our quickest first point we've ever had, but that's, that's what we're getting to. Verse 3, you return man to the dust and say, return, O children of man, for a thousand years in your sight are but as yesterday when it is past, or as a watch in the night. You sweep them away as with a flood. They are like a, stream, a dream, like grass that is renewed in the morning. In the morning it flourishes and is renewed. In the evening it fades and withers. For we are bought, brought to an end by your anger. By your wrath we are dismayed. You have set our iniquities before you, our secret sins, in light of your presence. For all our days pass away under your wrath. We bring our years to an end like a sigh. The years of our life are 70, or even by reason of strength, 80. Yet their span is but toil and trouble. They are soon gone and we fly away. Who considers the power of your anger and your wrath according to the fear of you? This is a problem. Most definitely a problem. Moses is lamenting here. The problem of sin. The problem of a finite life. The mortality of man. This is our second point. This morning, man is mortal. God is eternal. Man is not. Look at verse 3. You return man to dust and you say, return, O children of man. This brings us back to the garden again. Result of the curse of man's sin He returns to the dust in which he was created from. Genesis 2, 7, Then the Lord God formed the man of the dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life and the man became a living creature. God created man to live. He gave him life. He created him from the dust. Yet he chose death. The result of sin is death. And Genesis 3.19 is the result of man's disobedience or rebellion against the righteous holy God. Genesis 3.19, by the sweat of your face you shall eat bread till you return to the ground. For out of it you were taken, for you are dust And to dust you shall return. Moses is taking us back here. You return man to dust. And say return O children of man. The eternal God. How will he deal with the mortal man? Verse 4. For a thousand years in your sight are but as yesterday when it is past. Or as a watch in the night. We've, seen, we've heard that scripture, a thousand years is but a day. And he even says, even a watch of the night. This is probably referring to Methuselah, who lived longer than any recorded human being, pre-flood human being. He lived 969 years, almost a thousand. <laughs> Methuselah almost lived a thousand years. But in essence, in God's timing, Moses is saying, a day is like a thousand years. Meaning, a lifetime in God's sight is like a day. Even for the human being who lived almost a thousand years. Verse 5, you sweep them away as with a flood. They are like a dream Talking about humanity. Like grass is renewed in the morning. In the morning it flourishes and is renewed. In the evening it fades and withers. We have a reference here to the flood in Genesis and sudden abrupt ending of life. As one day people are happy. Having parties and fun. Given in marriage as the scripture says. And the next day. They are no longer here as in the day of Noah. Our life 
has a sudden ending. Our life is like a day of grass. Not that significant, I guess, Moses. He says our life is like a day of grass, renewed in the morning, it flourishes, and then in the evening it fades and withers. You see, this is a problem. Because we're meant to be with the Lord forever, in all significance. Why? Because we were created in His image. We were created to reflect the glory of God. How much more significant could we have been created for? And yet, we're just like a blade of grass. The morning comes up and the evening, it's gone. Look at verse 7 with me. For we are brought to an end by your anger. By your wrath we are dismayed. That's a problem. Verse 8, you have set our iniquities before you, our secret sins in the light of your presence. Death has come by sin. The wrath of God is pouring out. We are displayed openly in God's presence. And we cannot last. This is a lament All of our sins being exposed before a holy and righteous God, just like Adam and Eve were naked and tried to cover themselves up as a result of their sin. They're unable to stand in the presence of God. All our sins, all our secret sins are coming out into the open. This is a problem. Moses tells it like it is. It's an issue, Lord. This is an issue for me. There's a place in Sao Paulo, Brazil. It's called Cracolandia. It's where crack cocaine is sold in an open market. It's legal in that area. A gang controls the area. And the government for years has let it go. It's not, it's not a small neighborhood. They, they patrol right outside the neighborhood. It's a nine block radius. And they patrol police right outside and they don't let things go outside. But inside Cracolandia, it's pretty much a hell on earth. People addicted to drugs, living on the streets, openly buying, selling, using, destroying their lives. The trash and the smells run rampant with crime and people just waiting for their next hit. You can walk those streets actually in Sao Paulo and see the wreck and the bondage of addiction that's been caused by drugs in the life of people. But it's open. It's in the daylight. Can you imagine your secret sins being brought forth out in the daylight. What separates us from being, what separates me from being in Cracolandia? The grace of God. Moses feels the weight of our iniquity in light of God's presence. As the all-knowing eternal God sees our sin and therefore the eternal God has eternal wrath destined for us. It makes sense that an eternal God would have an eternal wrath stored up For those who have rebelled against him, who cannot be in his presence, the dwelling place of God is no longer for them. Verse 9, for all our days pass away under your wrath. We bring our years to an end like a sigh. The years of our life are 70, even the strength 80. Yet their span is but toil and trouble. They are soon gone and we fly away. 
Who considers the power of your anger and your wrath according to the fear of you? Who considers the strength of God's wrath? We're all allotted a time, and last time I checked, the mortality rate was 100%. Moses is lamenting here. We're all sinners. Our life is hard. We're deserving the wrath of God. We live 70 or 80 years toil and trouble, and we're gone. But God's wrath still remains. Moses does something so unexpected in these next verses. He asked God for a heart of wisdom. He asked God to return to his people. He asked God to show mercy. In the Hebrew, it's relent. It's the same word he used when God was about to annihilate his people and start over with Moses when they had built the golden calf when Moses was on the top meeting with the Lord. Relent. Oh, the prayer, the song of the sinner is the same prayer Of Moses. As it is. With the tax collector. Who Jesus said. Would not lift his eyes. In the temple. Luke 18.13. God. Be merciful. To me. A sinner. Moses the man of God. Pleading on behalf of his people. Relent from your anger. Be merciful. Have pity on your servants. Look at, look at this text with me. So teach us to number our days, verse 12, that we may get a heart of wisdom. Verse 13, return, O Lord, how long have pity on your servants. In Hebrew, that have pity is relent. Satisfy us in the morning with your steadfast love that we may rejoice and be glad all our days. Make us glad for as many days as you have afflicted us and for as many years as we have seen evil. Let your work be shown to you servants and your glorious power in their children. Let the favor of the Lord our God be upon us and establish the work of our hands upon us. Yes, establish the work of our hands. This is point number three. In light of God's grace and his steadfast love, live for eternity. In light of God's grace, God's steadfast love, his mercy, live for eternity. Oh, the beauty of the gospel message. Amen. It took us a long time to get here, Moses. It took us, it took us 11 verses of lament, and I'm now just being able to preach the gospel. Moses is asking God to relent from his anger, for God to return his favor, his blessing, his presence to his people by having mercy upon They're his servants. He does not do this on the basis of their goodness, but on the basis of God's steadfast love, his hesed, his covenantal love. Oh, church, do you know how much your God loves you? This is the gospel that God demonstrated his love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. While we were still in our sin. While we were in 
open shame. Christ died for us. Let us rejoice in our salvation. Turn our mourning into dancing and gladness. This is what happens when we cross over from death to life. We rejoice. We are grateful. We are thankful. And we live our lives for the eternal king. Look at verse 14 with me. Satisfy us in the morning with your steadfast love that we may rejoice and be glad all our days. There's a, there's a veiled reference in the Psalms. You meditate on them multiple times and you might be able to understand one eighth of the depth in which they come. But here, here it is. There's a veiled reference in the morning. Satisfy us in the morning. It links us back to verse 5 and 6. Let me read it for you again. You sweep them away with a flood there like a dream, like grass that is renewed in the morning. In the morning it flourishes and is renewed. In the evening it fades and withers. What is he talking about here in this section? He's talking about the brevity of life. Life is like a a morning and an evening. That's all life is. Moses says, oh Lord, give us a new morning. Give us new life. Resurrect this dead man. Even in the Psalms, Moses is praying for new life that can only be found by the covenantal love. His promise in the Garden of Eden to crush the head of the serpent. His promise to Abraham that through his seed all the nations of the earth would be blessed. That through David that there would be a king and that his kingdom would reign forever. It is the promise of a new life through the resurrected Son of God. Moses is saying, lead us into the promised land. The psalmist is saying, bring us back from exile. The thief of the cross is saying, remember me in paradise. And we are saying, we await your coming and resurrect us in the new heavens and the new earth. Satisfy us in the morning with your steadfast love. You see, God answers Moses' prayer. God answers our prayers. It's an incredible picture of God's love of a person who calls out to the living God, have mercy, give me new life in your presence. That we may be glad and satisfied in the morning. Then he talks about the work. At first it's God's work in verse 16. Let your work be shown to your servants and your glorious power to their children. And then it moves from God's work to the work of our hand. Verse 17, let the favor of the Lord our God be upon us. And establish the work of our hands. Yes, establish the work of our hands. It makes sense, does it not? We see the work. Let your work be shown to your servants. We see the work of God in the gospel. And respond to this great gospel with work that is eternal. We see the work of God's hand and now let your favor return to us to establish the work of our hand he prays for the next generation as this is the eternal work God has given to his people in making disciples of the coming generation 
How then shall we live, church? In light of the internal God who has stored up eternal wrath for us, yet saves us through his steadfast love, I'd say we live our life as one who counts our days, not for self-centered gain, but for the glory of God. For he is worthy of our life and our days in which we live. Let us work and live for the glory of God, for his kingdom will have no end. Teach us to number our days that we may get a heart of wisdom. Outside, right outside of Krakalandia, there's police everywhere to make sure that the evil of this place that they have not policed for years does not spread to other parts of the city. Another place that is outside of Krakolandia is a place called Christolandia. It's a church where they take people who have been abused by drugs and want to be set free. They have services going on all the time. Where they give people who have been in bondage for years food and a bed and a place to begin a new life. And this is where prayer happens. In this place, satisfy us in the morning with your steadfast love. It's almost as if these people leave Krakolandia and the Lord now becomes their dwelling place as they move from darkness to light. You see, church, the Lord does not change. In the Garden of Eden, He wanted to dwell with his people. And he calls us to a work, the work of reconciliation, the work of bringing people back to him, the work of calling people to return to ask for his mercy and grace upon his steadfast love in which he presented to us on the cross. This is the work of our hands. This is the work in which Moses speaks about. The work of God has now become the work of his people, his church. The lament has now become praise. And we give our lives for the King of kings and the Lord of lords, the everlasting to everlasting God. This is how we teach us to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your church, that your kingdom will last. And Father, as we reflect upon this psalm, we are reminded of your glorious grace in our life. We are reminded that we are so unworthy to be called your children, called your servant, and yet you call us your children and your servant Because of your steadfast love, thank you for giving us a new morning, new life in the grace of God that we may dwell in your presence forever. Father, your grace is eternal and we thank you that we see your grace 
in our own life and we reflect upon our life today. Father, there's many in this room who have not reflected upon their life in a long time that need to call out to you just as Moses did, just as David did, just as all of the psalmists have done in lament for their problems. But in asking you to do a work in their life, to change their heart because of your steadfast love, Father, we ask that people would call upon your name today. That they would call upon the name of the Lord. That they would be saved. That you would change their heart and their direction. That they would desire the things of God, including your word, which gives life to their soul. We ask that you would do that right now according to your spirit and according to your power. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. In a spirit of prayer, I I want you to respond to this message by not thinking about anybody else but yourself. Don't look at the people around you. Don't look at the person next to you. Respond to God as he may wish you to respond. That may be getting on your knees where you're at. They may be coming forward to pray at the altar. That may be going to talk to a pastor and having them pray over you. That may be going to someone else in the room and having them pray over you. Or you going to pray for someone else. But this is a time the Lord wants us to respond in his word. Let's use this time to respond to the great God who is everlasting to everlasting. If you'll stand, some of us will worship. Some of us will pray. Some of us will come forward. Let's do as the Lord calls upon your heart to do in response.